Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. On this episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, Melissa Corkum joins me to share her adoption story and to talk about how to help your child process their adoption story. Well, hello and welcome to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder. This is the podcast all about domestic infant adoption. We give you the inspiration and hope so you can adopt faster with more confidence, less headaches. So thank you for joining me today. You know, I get a lot of people asking me about how to find adoption agencies or where to find them or how to find the best agency for them. And so if this is you, I am really excited because I got a brand new guide I've created that's going to help answer these questions. It's called how to find the right adoption agency in four steps. So this is a free resource for you. It walks you through where to find adoption agencies, how to evaluate them, and then how to choose the right one for your adoption journey. So all you have to do is go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash agency, and you'll see how to get the free guide just for you. I'm super excited about it. I hope you go check it out and let me know what you think about it. Okay, so Melissa Corkum is our guest today. Her message is so important because she is talking about how to help your child or your future child, if you haven't adopted yet, how to process their adoption story. She has some fabulous resources and advice based on her own story as an adoptee and a mom through adoption. It's a great interview. I know you're going to enjoy it. Melissa will help you come away with more tools really to understand your child or your future child's perspective and experience as an adoptee. So let's get into the interview with Melissa right now. All right, today we are welcoming Melissa Corkum to our show. She is, uh, besides being a transracial adoptee herself, she's also a transracial adoptive parent. She is a certified Enneagram coach, which we'll talk about here uh, in the interview. And she's also an empowered to connect uh, parent trainer. She's helped dozens of parents shift to a brain-based view of behavior so they can find more effective solutions besides just threatening and punishing, which sounds familiar in my case. <laughs> we'll talk about that. But as, a, as an adoptee with mostly positive attitude of her story, she's passionate about encouraging adoptive parents like you listening to feel confident in your role and to follow your, your child's lead when it comes to processing their stories. And she also is a co-host of the Adoption Connection podcast. So it's always also great to have her on as a fellow a podcaster here. And you can learn more about her at thecorkboardonline.com and we'll share all the links in the show notes but welcome Melissa to the show. Hey Tim, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It's it's awesome having another podcaster on here and it's you're just really busy with all the stuff you got going on which is awesome and can't wait to get into it and I really want to let the folks listening know that we're going to talk about post adoption support and it is important whether or not you are wherever you are in your adoption journey. I mean even if you're just considering adoption you should know about post-adoption support. And I know my wife and I did not when we first started our, our journey. And uh, I've come to realize now that we've had three kids uh, through adoption, it's it's even more important to understand it and know it and uh, really know what your options are out there for you and your kids, is, which is where Melissa comes in. So I'm so happy to have you on the show to, to talk about this. Uh, let's jump into the questions. Actually, I want to jump into a little bit of your story. You're a mom to six kids through birth and adoption. So right there, you're already busy, let alone all the stuff you're doing. (laughs) And you've said, uh, they've taught me a lot about what creates thriving parent-child relationships and what doesn't. So I'd like you to kind of dive into a little bit of that as you tell us your story, just about being an adoptee, what it was like kind of growing up, and then how you came to adopt your children 
uh, with your husband. So I don't, that's a lot to talk about, but go ahead and start with your story. Yeah. I mean, do you have like four or five days, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> really? That's true. How about you condense um, it to a couple of minutes? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to, I'll do the short version. Very good. So Thanks. I am a transracial adoptee. I was adopted as an infant from Korea in the early eighties. And I have two siblings who also came home through Korean adoption. None of us are biologically related. And, you know, back that was back when they were kind of like, just love them like your own. It's kind of the same. Um, and in fact, we just came on airplanes. Our parents didn't even have to go in country oh, wow. to visit. Yeah. Um, the agency would literally get on a plane in Korea with a dozen infants and toddlers and ask for volunteers to hold us on the way over here. And, and so we actually have pictures at the airport with the person, you know, the lucky volunteer who held me and, you know, each of my siblings all the way from Korea to here. Uh, and so even they play, you know, a, a special part in the journey. You know, I can't even imagine that now, but that's the way it was done in the 80s. And so fast forward, you know, quite a few years. And, and I'll say that, you know, you introduced me as a adoptee who has a mostly positive view of her story. I do. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Enneagram here in a minute, but I am a very kind of optimistic, forward-facing person. And I just, I guess, always just accepted what my story was. And I love my parents and, um, you know, always knew I was adopted, but never remember feeling these like, you know, crushing feelings of loss. Um, I'm just, I'm super pragmatic and and thinking oriented and what they told me I totally bought it made logical sense and and that's just the way I marched on uh, my siblings process their stories each differently but you know fast forward to college and I meet my who would become my husband and we're on our first date and he says to me well, I really, basically I'm looking for a wife. Like I really want to be married early and have kids young. And so if at any point in time you realize that you can't marry me, just let me know. And then we could, this could just be over. <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, and, at um, least he's leading them the right way, I guess. That's good. I know, right. So, and there was actually, there's a part of my personality that really enjoyed that straightforwardness. I was like, mm -hmm. great. Like, so we, we both know what we're in for. And uh, his second kind of disclaimer to me was, and I've also always wanted to adopt. Mm. And so if you're not okay with that, we can also be done. <laughs> and he didn't know I was an adoptee at the wow. time. Yeah. And I remember, you know, saying to him, well, actually, it's weird you should say that. I, I was adopted and I actually think it went okay. And so I guess I can't say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, our story is a little different in, you know, a lot of people make assumptions that I may have been the driving force behind adopting and I wasn't, he really was. And of course I was fully on board, but he really was the impetus for that. And so we got married, uh, had two kids by birth and uh, kind of accidentally fell into this adoption journey. We kind of thought international adoption was too expensive and we didn't want to do domestic infant adoption because we felt like we were really blessed with our, you know, two babies. And so we really went into it thinking that we would help other families adopt. And uh, in that process, stumbled upon a waiting child list for Korea and like without a home study, ended up with a referral for this little boy and ended up in Korea like a year later to the day. So that was our first adoption. <laughs> and that was in 2009. And our son was two, about two and a half when he came home. And so that gave us kids that were like, uh, I think like six, four and two at the time. And, 
everything that worked for our first two kids did not work for him. And so uh, we just had to go back to the drawing board. Uh, You know, when I say like what creates thriving parent-child relationships and what doesn't, that was like kind of our first you know, waltz down that path is we did everything wrong with him. We knew nothing about trauma, um, about, you know, the things that he had experienced before he came to us and how that would impact his development. And uh, we really thought we would have it easy, actually, Tim, because I was adopted and he hadn't been in an institution and, you know, he looked like a lot of members of our family. And so a lot of the things that they had told us in pre-adoption training didn't seem to apply to our family. Hmm. So he was the reason that we dusted off our copy of The Connected Child and we're kind of go big or go home folks. And so instead of just kind of digesting the book, I actually dragged my husband all the way to Texas from Maryland. And in 2012, we became Empowered to Connect Parent Trainers. And so then we thought we had arrived. <laughs> you had everything we had all you this needed training. at that point. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah we, we got to train under folks that were, you know, super close to Dr. Purvis. Right. Uh, we, you know, we went to her stomping grounds. We spent time there. And it was about that time that we were starting the adoption process again. And our thought process kind of went, well, we're, we're still not in for infant adoption. We felt like that season was over. And toddler adoption certainly hadn't been a walk in the park. And so we thought, well, just like, we'll, let's just be open to whatever God has. And so we told our agency that we would take up to three kids. We thought uh, it would be nice to keep a sibling group together uh, and that we would take any age and any gender. And so we ended up with three unrelated children from Ethiopia. So it wasn't a sibling group, but all three kids who needed a home. And they were 11, 13, and 14 at the time. And they were all older than our kids. So we adopted Mm -hmm. all out of birth order. And Uh, they really, really taught us even more about what it meant to be a parent, what it meant to be a connected parent, uh, you know, which hills to die on and which hills not to die on. Mm. And and I can tell you that for about three years, we did a lot of things wrong. And we knew a lot, obviously, as parent trainers, but we just hadn't really, I think, counted the cost of the impact of how much you know, how we would react in stress and how hard it would be to integrate three new kids. And so we actually went through a season where a couple of our kids kind of really rejected us. They were old enough to move out and not need us anymore. And they were kind of like this family thing wasn't really what I thought it was going to be. And and we're out. Hmm. Um, And so it's, it took a couple years in some of the cases, a, a few years in some of the cases for us to really earn their trust back. And so we had to change a lot of who we were as parents in order to create the the ground for that to happen. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, they've, they've taught us a lot. They've humbled us a lot. And uh, I think we're better people for it. And, and now we kind of know better that there's always more to learn. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Uh, what, what's one of the most important things that they've taught you? I think, you know, it sounds so silly to say it out loud, but that we can't control our kids, you know, Mm -hmm. that we have, we really can only control ourselves. And I think as parents, we are under this misnomer that we have more of a role than we uh, really actually do. Uh, I think even when we became Empowered to Connect Parent Trainers and you know, that model says there are needs behind the behavior, the behavior is communicating things, you know, bad behavior isn't just bad kids, uh, that there's hurting kids underneath. Uh, and that we have the power as parents, as adoptive parents, to create healing relationships, uh, which is all 100% true. But it also requires a child who has the felt safety and is kind of willing 
to open up their hearts to go there again. And I kind of thought that, well, if I provided the safe space and if I was nurturing enough, then the healing would follow or then the behaviors would stop. I felt like um, not that I could just, you know, puppet them, but that my behaviors would have more of an impact on or influence on what their decisions were. And, and it turns out that that is not always the case. And, you know, to have kids that are kind of testing out the waters on their own or making decisions that we don't necessarily love as parents does not reflect necessarily back on us as parents to say that that we did something wrong or that there was a missing piece there. And so I think that was really important for us to learn and, and to give up some control. Yeah, we we know all about that as adoptive parents. Uh, you you'd have no control, <laughs> at least during the process. Yeah. So okay, well let's talk about. Or you talked about your training as you've had as a parent trainer and um, and a life coach. You've had training with that too. So uh, why did you guys decide to do that? Is that just something you felt like? you needed more to help your kids with. I think that's kind of how you were talking a little, little bit earlier. You just wanted more to help your kids as you're bringing them into your family. Is that kind of the reason yeah, why? It definitely started there at the time I was blogging a little bit and Facebook groups were just becoming a new thing and I'm kind of an open book. And so I was being pretty transparent about, how hard the post-adoption piece was. Um, you know, like you said, the process to get our kids home felt like a marathon. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking like, if we could just get them home, then we'll be like home free. You know, like that was like getting them home was kind of like the end goal. Uh, and really, of course, now I know that that's kind of like the beginning of all the things, you know, and, and that there's a whole ultra marathon on the other side of the actual process. And so people started contacting us and saying, you know, we're struggling too. And what have you learned? And, and can you help us? And so it was a long process. And we also went through, you know, that time when our kids kind of rejected us, we also had a, a daughter who really struggles with attachment and, and she's just really fragile from the experiences that she's had. And, and she really put us through the ringer because her big behaviors that were really protecting her um, really didn't feel great to us as a family. And, and they were unsafe in a lot of ways. And so we went through all of this, uh, really realizing where there were holes in the post-adoption support community, uh, that we were dealing with things that no one seemed to have answers to. And as we were sharing our story, we were kind of gathering this tribe of other people who were saying, we're in that same place and we also don't know where to turn for help. Uh, and so a lot of what I do now is really this kind of healing process for our family to take what we've walked through and what we've learned and be the support and be the resource kind of that we wish we had had seven or eight years ago. And, and so that's kind of how that evolved uh, into, into this project, um, into the coaching that I do by myself, and then also the podcast and resource site that I co-host uh, with my friend Lisa at the Adoption Connection. Um, it, that's really kind of the outpouring of that you know, trying to just give back and, and really redeem kind of kind of some of the crappier parts of our story. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I can totally understand that. How, how old are your kids now? So the youngest is 13 and the oldest is 22. And, and they're, you know, anywhere from two to three years apart and yeah, all the way in okay. between. Yeah, awesome. And we had mentioned at the beginning, and I, I know I probably mispronounced it at the very beginning. It's called the, the how do you say it? 
it's the Enneagram, Enneagram and it's Ennea is nine in Greek and uh-huh. gram like diagram. So the Enneagram is, is visualized as kind of this nine pointed star. You'll see it, you know, drawn out that way to represent nine yes. kind of ways to see the world. Okay. So you, let's talk about that. Cause uh, we're going to talk about how that is important in, and how adoptive parents can use that in our parenting, but let's just, uh, we already kind of described what the word means, but what does that mean? Or what is uh, the Enneagram? How does that work? Yeah. So a lot of people might be familiar with it as kind of a personality typing system. I personally think that's a little bit of a misnomer to it. Um, So if you're familiar with other things like the DISC or the Mm Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, it's kind of been grouped in with those. I feel like it's really different because those seem to kind of revolve around an assessment and, and really kind of a label where the Enneagram started as a narrative tradition. Um, the wisdom of the Enneagram kind of has a an unclear history, but about 50 years ago, it was really formalized into these nine pieces and, and visualized in this way in South America. And it was, again, a narrative tradition that people would teach and and you would, as you were learning it, um, then you would, you know, share it with other people and you would identify with one of these nine kind of archetypal personalities around the Enneagram. And some people, some of the early folks will even say that their teachers um, would teach it to them and, and say they actually couldn't tell anyone else about it until they had done their own work with it. So it's very much uh, a personal discovery, a personal development tool. And the nine points around the circle are, again, nine ways to see the world, nine motivations, nine fears. uh, And we each can a little bit identify with each of the nine, but there's a, we all have a dominant way that we kind of interact with the world. And so we call that your dominant type. And, And none of the numbers are better or worse than the others. They each have like a superpower and a kryptonite, if, if you will. And I think, uh, Ian Morgan Cron, who wrote a really great book in the Enneagram, kind of described it like this. Instead of labeling who you are, the Enneagram kind of helps you understand the box you've put yourself in and then how to get out of it. Mm. So there's a lot of move, movement around the Enneagram. It really does give you a guide, not just for who you are, but really how to become the best version of, of yourself based on who you are, based on your personality. So when you use this, do you try to figure out it sounds like you figure it out for yourself first but then do you also do this with your kids to try to figure out where they are yeah so the the most powerful part of the enneagram in whatever relationship you're in whether it's a work relationship or a friend a marriage relationship or your kids is your own personal work really just understanding you know we talked earlier about how much control we kind of don't have in a lot of situations especially with our kids and so i think it's really empowering to realize how much power we do have for our own selves and how much our own regulation, our own understanding of ourselves, our own self-development really has this trickle-down effect into our family. It really does put more of the control in our own hands and really empowers us. The, The general consensus around the Enneagram is that it's a personal journey, so it's never ours to type other people. That being said, there are some pretty distinctive triads or groups of three around the Enneagram. And usually because we know our kids or our spouse fairly well, we can kind of hypothesize in our heads and narrow it down to a couple numbers or at least, you know, rule out 
a couple numbers, right? So a couple, you know, there's numbers that are certainly quieter and more even, even keeled on the Enneagram and numbers that are a little bit more fiery. And so, you know, you might be thinking about one of your kids who's, you know, kind of always kept you on your toes. And so there's a good chance that 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 child isn't, you know, one of the more peaceful numbers, um, lower energy numbers on the Enneagram. But again, to just keep a lot of those thoughts internally, it helps inform our questions and how we interact with people, um, but not to use it as a sword or a shield. So a sword would be like, you're being such a two or such Mm, a three um, or a shield to say like, oh, well, I'm just, that's just the way sevens are. You know, the, the Enneagram doesn't give us permission to kind of stay in the worst versions of ourselves. It really wants us to do the work to become, you know, who our best selves are. Uh, is this a tool that you go online to take or how does it, how do you actually find your number and how you are in the Enneagram? Yeah. So the best way in a perfect world would be to listen to some podcasts or read a book and, and learn, kind of dig in and really learn a, a, around all nine types. And what'll happen is you'll feel like as you're exploring some of the types that, that one kind of jumps out at you or one or two kind of really like tug at you. They, there's kind of this joke that like, if you're reading a, a generalized book on the Enneagram that kind of goes through all nine types that the, when you get to the type that makes you want to throw the book across the room, that's probably your type <laughs> because you. all the books, you know, tell us the best parts of the numbers, but then they tell us what we look like in the worst s- sense of ourselves. Yeah. And and it's kind of like someone's like peeled open your heart, you know, and like taken all your secrets and exposed them to the world because it's so spot on at how it describes personality. Hmm. And so a lot of people will say that, you know, when they read um, their number, they, they say, I'm not that number. I don't want to be that number. It makes me so angry. But usually that's that's what you are. And then there are some assessments out there. Some are better, better than others. Um, none are really more than about 75% accurate. Uh, and the assessments were really developed because in the Western world, that's really how we like to operate. Mm-hmm. So you can certainly take an assessment and that can help you kind of tip your toe in or you know help you roll out a number, give you a starting point. Uh, but I tell people never take an assessment at face value, never just take an assessment and then walk around and tell the world that that's the number you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do a little reading, do a little research, uh, get with a coach to kind of uh, help reflect that back to you and really decide if that's that's the right thing. And part of that is because the Enneagram really doesn't talk about behavior so much as motivations. And it's really hard to tease out someone's motivations in an assessment. It's easier. Behaviors are more outward facing. So it's a little bit, a little bit easier, but you know, only you knows why you do the things that you do and, and we might do the same things, but for entirely different reasons. Which moves into the next part of my question here, just about how do you use that to help, help explain how you're, well, work with your child and really how they process their own story, their own adoption story. How do you use that? Uh, if you kind of figure out your number and all that, how do you use that to help your child? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just share my personal story with the Enneagram and how it, it gave me this huge light bulb moment about my story. So I am a seven on the Enneagram. And so what that means is in a kind of broad brushstrokes is I'm really motivated um, by new experiences, uh, by things that sound fun. Uh, and my, my fear, the thing that I'm kind of running away from is, is pain and boredom 
And so sevens tend to be future thinking. So we're kind of, you know, the past is in the past, what's, what's coming next. Uh, and we tend to be very pragmatic. We're the only number on the Enneagram that doesn't have kind of this natural move to a, to a feeling center, right? Where we kind of, t- we love the great, we love the positive fun feelings, but we really try to do everything in our power to stay away from the, the hard feelings. And the Enneagram also tells us what our personality type how we tend to look when we're really stressed out. And so a seven goes to a one when we're stressed and and the kind of the low side, like the, the kryptonite side of ones. And ones uh, at their worst are just critical perfectionists. <laughs> and, um, and so I even think in adoption training, if we were to talk to parents and help them do some personal work around their Enneagram type, uh, because I think no one would debate that bringing home children through adoption is stressful. The process is stressful. The integration is stressful. The parenting is stressful. And so if someone had helped me realize that I had these warning signs, these rumble strips, like on the highway, you know, when you drive and there's those rumble strips that, that my rumble strips were a really critical spirit. Um, and that could tell me that I wasn't doing a great job of taking care of myself or, or that could help me understand that I was feeling really stressed, um, then that would have been really good information to know before I brought three teenagers home to my house. Because what happened was exactly that, is I got very nitpicky. I was I, I needed a lot of control. I wanted everything to be a certain way. And, and that wasn't really about the kids so much as it was about me and how, how I was experiencing life. Uh, and if I had known a little bit more about those tendencies and what they meant about how well or not well I was doing, then that would have been really helpful because I kind of just leaned into that and and really made a mess of our relationship with the kids. Um, but if I had known like what that behavior meant about me, then I could have taken that time to, you know, nurture myself a little bit more, go to more therapy, you know, take a step back, uh, you know, let my husband do more or whatever the case w- might be. And then for my own story as an adoptee, you know, when I got into the world of adoptee voices as an adoptive parent, I kept, you know, I was hearing all of these adoptees kind of lament these big feelings of loss. And I was hearing a lot of statements like all adoptees feel a sense of loss. All adoptees feel this hole in their heart. All adoptees on their birthdays are really wondering about their birth mother or why their birth mother gave them away. And I don't ever remember having any of those feelings growing up. And so I remember thinking like, am I a terrible person because I never thought about my birth mother? Or, you know, is there something wrong with me as an adoptee? Because all these adoptees out here that I'm listening to are having the same experience and I can't understand why I didn't have that experience. Um, And then once I had the Enneagram, I realized, well, I, that makes a lot of sense because I'm not a big feeling person and I am a super forward thinking person. And it makes a lot of sense for my personality to have never uh, dwelled in the past of of what my birth mother was thinking or who she was, because I had been moving forward my entire life. And so I was way more interested with what was coming than what had already happened. And that there were just probably other adoptees and different personalities and who had processed their story differently, who just weren't a part of the conversation because they didn't even know there was a conversation to be a part of. And I have, you know, like I said, two siblings, a couple cousins and a couple friends who are all adoptees. And, and I get to see kind of the range of all of those emotions and processes and, and some have those really big feelings of loss, but I have 
you know, my best friend, for example, um, does not identify with that either. And so the Enneagram was validating in just my own experience that I had the right to even have this particular experience as an adoptee. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that uh, it kind of puts something behind what you, how you already are and makes you understand how you handle things. So especially with your kids, when there's, I mean, all the kids, every kid you have is different. I know our three are. So it certainly would make sense to know more about yourself and how you can really help your kids as they're growing older and starting to do different things and go through different uh, life challenges that you can, you can know how better to help them based on what you know about yourself. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, like we can make some healthy hypotheses. And so I was just working with a family recently and their daughter, it's pretty clear that she's what we call an assertive personality, one of the three assertive personalities. And so that's really helpful to keep in mind because that means that she's, she, that type of personality respects other assertive personalities. You know, she might be looking like she's defiant, but really you're going to gain her respect kind of by going, you know, in a respectful, non-escalating way, but kind of going toe to toe with her, Um, you know, where there are other kids where that's not going to be the way that they feel the safest um, or the best way to connect with them. So you can use this Enneagram to, I'm just trying to picture this in my own head. So if I start really researching the Enneagram and, and researching how, like what my number is, that's going to help me deal with each one of my kids as they have different personalities, different ways of handling things. Do I do anything with them? Like, do they, do I try to have, figure out what their numbers are too, or is that not really helpful? Yeah, well, I think the Enneagram gives us uh, better questions to ask. So even the question of like, um, for like you and your wife, if, if your child does something to act out, even starting with yourselves and saying, how did you experience that? Because you might experience it very differently than her. And if we don't, you know, of course, it makes sense when we say it out loud like that, but we don't normally start there with our kids, right? We usually go right into action. What do we need to do about this um, without really pausing to reflect what our motivations as parents are? And they could be very different. On the flip side, they could be very much the same. So my husband and I both tend to be more thinking types. And that can be dangerous because the two of us are usually on the same page. And so when we have a child who's feeling really emotional about something that seems pretty irrational to us, it's, it's really easy without the Enneagram to be really dismissive of that and be like, that's such like, you know, don't even go there. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you would think that. I don't know why you'd be afraid of that. I don't know why you feel that way. Um, But when we understand that there are personality types that really take in all their information in the world through their feelings, uh, then we can say like, oh, I don't understand why she would ever react to that situation that way. But I know from my Enneagram work that there is a lens around, you know, on the Enneagram that is going to process it like that. And so even if I don't know exactly what number she is, it even just validates and gives us compassion for other people's experiences that aren't like our own. Understood. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. So you've been helping adoptive parents. Do you need to help more than just adoptive parents or is it kind of your focus of helping adoptive parents? I work 
probably 75 to 80% with adoptive parents, but certainly one of the things that was really eye-opening about becoming an Empowered to Connect parent trainer was understanding behavior about the needs and the communication behind behavior. And so I really think that that is information that I wish I had had even before we adopted. And so I do work with really any family who feels like they have challenging behaviors and you know, that their kids are displaying challenging behaviors and they feel like they don't have the right tools. Mm -hmm. Do you have, uh, I'm sure you do, but do you have information and, uh, or help for families that haven't yet adopted yet? You know, so they're, they're they're kind of thinking down the road, which you should be. (laughs) I hope you are, if you're Mm -hmm. listening that, and I would have done this if, if I would have known, I guess, but kind of having a forward thinking of, Hey, I'm I'm going to have some challenges when I bring my kids home and especially if you adopt more than one and and that whole dynamic. But having some of those tools for the ready, you know, or or starting to understand them before your kids come home, before your kids get of age or you're really starting to do some disciplining and other things. Do you have some of those things available for folks too that are just haven't brought their kids home yet? Yeah, I have a 21-day parenting course that you know, is for all parents, whether they're preparing for a child to come home, whether they're already parenting, but they're going to add a child through adoption or whether they're already parenting and parenting a child through adoption and just feel like they're way in over their heads. And so that's a great resource that really lays the foundation and really practical steps. Um, It was designed to be delivered to a really busy parent. So it comes in really short bite-sized pieces, um, but gives, it's, it's pretty much, you know, what I tell people is, it allows you to not have to read all the books and go to all the parenting conferences that I went to. I've distilled it all down into this neat and tidy 21 day course. That's what we're looking for. And, um, and I do private coaching alongside of that with folks who are interested. And I would love to have more families who kind of see the need to really prepare themselves coming in to the adoption experience, um, and have a chance to do some Enneagram work with them, uh, you know, understanding the ways that we might experience rejection through the lens of our Enneagram number, uh, because that is one of the things that often happens when our kids have attachment challenges is they, it feels like they're rejecting us. And, you know, when you go through an adoption process that's months or years long and costs you tens of thousands of dollars, um, we have a lot of expectations about what that's going to look like when our child doesn't like us very much, or they tell us we're the worst mom ever, or they just don't reciprocate relationship in the way that we're looking for, that can be devastating. And so if we don't understand what our personality is going to do in that situation, that can, you know, put us really at a disadvantage because we're kind of always uh, playing catch up. Uh, And then also even understanding the, the ways that children can process uh, loss and abandonment, because at the end of the day, when they come to our families as, as adoptees, uh, they have experienced loss in some way, shape or form. Um, and usually it's a pretty profound loss. Yeah. And that's true. No matter what a kind of, or what adoptee, where that adoptee comes from. In other words, they don't have to be a teenager coming into your house. They could be a newborn and still, and I'm experiencing this with our kids, you know, they have various levels of, those feelings of abandonment or, you know, what happened here, if they don't know exactly their whole story or they aren't having that open adoption relationship, they may have questions that are unanswered. And now those are the things that you need to prepare for as a hopeful adoptive parent that 
those are going to come. You know, you're going to have those kind of discussions with your kids. So now's the time to start thinking about it uh, before you get there. So you know how to help a child process their story as they get older because they can't process it when they're one or two or three. You know, they could start to process it, but they're not going to get the full gamut of it until they they get older. So you can help them through that. And I, that's what we've been doing. And it's, I think it's, it's really important to uh, continue to cultivate their, their story as they get older and just make sure they understand it. Try to give them as much information as you can and uh, help them protect it too. Cause uh, I don't think an adoptee doesn't have to go out there and just share everything there is to know for about their story, especially if there's just issues and situations that you, people don't need to know that are private. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I think one of the bis- biggest misnomers out there is that there's less trauma in infant adoption. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually on the Adoption Connection podcast, we uh, talked kind of extensively about this in episode 87, but, you know, there's so much to process no matter what age your child comes home. And in some ways, depending on the personality and how your child's processing their loss, it's almost harder when they come home as infants because there doesn't seem to be this permission to feel lost. Cause you're like, well, the only parents I've ever known mm-hmm. are these parents. They literally right. brought me home from the hospital. Why do I feel this hole? And not everyone's going to feel that hole, but if you do, and you were adopted as an infant for years, there was not a narrative for that. There wasn't a reason for why that would even be a thing. And so we know so much more now about um, even attachment that happens, you know, in utero and you know, we say that every child comes to you with at least nine months of history, uh, and even those that come home as infants. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, and most of you, I'm sure, that are listening that are considering infant adoption or or started the process that we're talking to you, <laughs> this stuff does yeah. matter, and it is it is important. So, as we wrap up here, what tips or other resources or, or stories that you could share? that will help uh, adoptive families that are listening to this or hopeful adoptive families listening to this? I think for hopeful adoptive families, I say talk to as many adoptive families as you can. Our experiences definitely run the gamut. And, you know, just like I'm never going to say all adoptees feel this, uh, I will also say every adoptive family feels this. And so just know that there are, you know, a thousand million different ways as an adoptee to experience adoption and as an adoptive family to process that but be prepared for the hard because this, statistically there's more of a chance that there's going to be struggles, more struggles than kind of the neurotypical family has than not. And, um, and I would encourage folks to check out the adoption connection. We have uh, of course the podcast and we also have a free Facebook group and that is open to both post-adoptive families and pre-adoptive families. And so that's a, a safe place to ask your questions and, and dig around a little bit and just be able to kind of take in the experiences of other families. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. That is, I, I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing your podcast because it's, it's certainly helpful to families and you're, you guys are doing a great job with that. So what, let's talk about your services in places to find you, the corkboardonline.com is kind of your primary spot, right? Your primary site. Yeah. So folks head there, they can see the different ways to work with me. Um, there is a free uh, Enneagram book for parents and they can go directly to that by going to the corkboardonline.com slash infant adoption guide. And uh, yeah, the podcast link is there, all the ways to connect with 
both me personally or the Adoption Connection resources are all there. So thecorkboardonline.com. You can read everything you want to know about Melissa there. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, my diary, all of it. It's all there. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm going to put a lot in the show notes on this because you got a lot of good stuff, good links and uh, resources and places to, for you to help folks. So I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Well, thanks. Glad you're doing what you're doing because it's not our expertise, but certainly it's a big part. And I think, you know, even your voice into pre-adoption, you know, even just what we talked about going in with your eyes wide open is really, really important so that people can feel successful after they finish their journey. Absolutely. That's, that's what it's about. Yeah. We could have talked, I think another hour on this, this subject. This is, this is good stuff. I hope folks listening will take it to heart that you really do need to focus on your post-adoption support now before you get to uh, bringing your child home. But yeah, still, if you do have children already in your home that you've adopted and you may be struggling, certainly dive into this and, and start to look at it, figure it out. Don't just assume you're always going to have struggles and there's nothing you can do. Um, there's certainly help out there uh, that Melissa provides and um, contact her. And I know you're going to be able to help a lot of folks that are listening to this. So thank you for coming onto the show today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much. All right. Great interview with Melissa. I hope you check out her website at thecorkboardonline.com and go check out her podcast, The Adoption Connection. Great podcast there. I'm so thankful to have her on the show today. You can find all the highlights and links we talked about on today's show at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 73. And while you're there on the website, I suggest you take a look at our private Facebook support group. There's a link right there on the main page. You can join hundreds of people in that group who are in the same boat as you. And what it's, what's awesome about it is we all help each other on this roller coaster ride called infant adoption. Plus I'm there too. So you're going to be able to chat with me directly, which is pretty cool, right? So I'm the admin there. I'd love to see you come and give your request to join this private group. I'll let you in. We'll have a great time. We'll answer each other's questions and help us support each other along the way. So thanks for listening. And until next time, you're in my prayers as you go on your own adoption adventure to build your family. God bless. Thanks for listening to my dad.